have to beg you to hear our prayer, but you are eager for us to come to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for making a way for us, for opening the doors to the throne of heaven for us. And Lord, we realize that we are in a battle, that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but Lord, we fight against spiritual forces, and Lord, we know they are very real. Lord, no doubt, each of us here facing our own battles. Lord, we pray that you do strengthen and encourage us with your word tonight. Lord, our desire is to be molded and shaped more and more into your image, that you would strengthen and encourage us this evening in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening. Please be seated and take out your Bibles. Open them up with me to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible with you tonight, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. So you can follow along as we study God's Word tonight. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service. A couple of weeks ago, we got into chapter 25 a little bit as we continue our study in the life of David. We've seen that he was anointed to be the the next king in Israel to follow Saul, and that Saul was the first anointed king, but he was one of the people's choosing, the one that, that the, the people wanted. And the Lord now, as we've seen, selects David to be the next king, a man after his own heart. And we've seen the, the life of David to this point. It's been an amazing journey. We've seen you know, the, his initial triumph against Goliath and then as the captain of the army and being used in so many ways, but then Saul's jealousy rising up and he had to flee, and, and we mentioned that he is in the middle now of a 10-year period where he is in the wilderness, he is running from Saul, running to save his own life, to, to, to continue on, and many men and others have, have gathered themselves to him. In this time, God is preparing him to be king. And we mentioned last time in chapter 24 where, where he was given the opportunity to, to take Saul's life and to step into that role as king. And he said, who am I to do that? Who am I to touch God's anointed? We saw some great lessons in that. And now as we transitioned into chapter 25, we saw that Samuel has died. Samuel, the, the last of the, of the judges, if you would, the one that when he, the leader in Israel, a spiritual leader in Israel, the one who anointed David. And it tells us that when he died, there was great mourning throughout all of the land. And what a, what a testimony of a great life of Samuel. But I'm going to pick up in verse 2, although we covered a lot of these verses, but just to give us a, a head start into where we're going tonight. So chapter 25, verse 2. 
Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. Now, this is, again, we mentioned last time, not Mount Carmel where Elijah was. This is down in the southern part of Israel. And the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it came about while he was shearing the sheep in Carmel. Now, the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. We mentioned last time that Nabal actually means fool, (laughs) probably not the, the name his parents gave him when he was born, I hope not anyway. But it describes his character, as we will see as we go through this. And, and uh, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't news to anybody that was around him. We'll see as we, his wife speaks and others speak about him that he was a very foolish man, but his wife, Abigail, intelligent and beautiful, very rich, as it says here, 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. If you, had, if you had 100 sheep, you were a rich person. He's got several thousand and 1,000 goats. And it came about when he was shearing his sheep that David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, Have a long life, peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you, are, that you have shearers, Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days that they were in Carmel. David and his men, as we will see in a moment, they they were in the same area as Nabal and and his shepherds and the men that were watching over the sheep and the goats, and David and his men kind of surrounded them and protected them and kept them safe. And he's saying, we did this, and it was customary in that time that if somebody did something like that for you, even though they weren't employed by you, you would show some gratitude. And, and here in the time of shearing, in the time of sacrifice, in this time of a great party that we're going to see, David just said, hey, go down and tell him greetings from me, blessings from me, and ask if he would, by, by, out of some generosity, give some provisions to us. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festival day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. Then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? So obviously he knows who David is. (laughs) He knows very well who David is. He knows he's Jesse's son. He knows he's the one who has conquered Goliath. He knows he's the one that was the leader of the army. He also knows that he is the one that Saul is pursuing, trying to kill as he goes on. Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from their master, insulting David with that comment there. Shall I then, verse 11, take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men whose origin I do not know? So obviously we see in verse 11 a very proud man thinking that all that he has is because of him not giving glory and honor to God whatsoever, but this is all mine, and who am I and who are you to come to me and ask for anything? So David's young men retraced their way and went back, and they came and told him according to these words. So they repeated these words to David. When David hears this, verse 13, he said to his men, each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword, 
and about 400 men went up behind David while 200 stayed with the baggage. So David hears this insulting comment that comes from Nabal, and David is upset, and he's going to take matters into his own hands. And we talked of this last time. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but I think it bears repeating because we can all so easily fall into this same situation. He just, in the previous chapter, had an opportunity to kill the man who is trying to kill him, the one who is pursuing him, King Saul, and he's right in front of him. He could have snuck up behind him and killed him, and he doesn't because he said, who am I? Who am I to do that? Who am I to take matters into my own hands? I need to trust God in all of this. He told me I was going to be king, and until he takes Saul out of the way, I need to be patient and wait. Great victory. Great victory in that. Great example in that to those that are following him. And here we see, after that great victory, some rich shepherd insults him, and he says, all right. It's like, like you have this great victory and, and, and you're witnessing at work, and God lays it on your heart, and you share the gospel with this person, and, and just a, stepping out of your comfort zone, and have a great victory, and they, they receive the Lord. Man, praise the Lord. Praise God. And you're driving home, and some guy cuts you off in traffic, and it's, you know, some little thing like that sets us off, and isn't that so much like us? We pray for the big things, and we're prepared for the big things, but it's the little things that can trip us up, the little things that can get us off the rails. Here we see David going out to avenge himself for some words that were spoken against him. The man who's trying to kill him, he gives grace, but somebody who insults him with words, different story. But one of the young men, one of Nabal's young men, told Abigail, his wife, saying, behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were never insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both night and day, all the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider that you, what you should do. For evil is plotted against our master and against all his household, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. So this man comes to Abigail and says, Nabal's done it again. He is, he is spoken out, and you know that it's not going to do any good to go talk to him, but you got to do something. You have to do something. And we see in these next verses here, an amazing response from an incredible woman. Abigail is an incredible model for us. She receives this, this information, and it says in verse 18, then Abigail hurried. She didn't, she didn't wait. She hurries to intercede in this situation. She hurried and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Now that's quite a load. And you can imagine, imagine the kitchen that it took to prepare all of that, and the, the, this feast that is coming. And no doubt again, as, as, it, as we look at this, this rich man, this great festival that he is preparing for all of his servants, and to just have this great party that we're going to see in a, in a, in a minute, so all of this food is prepared for all of these, and she goes and takes some of it, and she's going to take it to David. She said to her young men, go before me, 
Behold, I am coming after you, but she did not tell her husband Nabal. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her, so she met them. And just imagine this scene, 400 men ready to, ready to do battle, coming down the mountain, coming towards them, and here she comes behind some donkeys that are ahead, loaded down with this, and here she comes to intervene. I can only imagine what must be going through her mind at this time. Her heart's probably pounding, but she knows that she needs to do something. Now, I'm going to read through what she said, and then we'll go back and look at it in a little more detail, but it says, verse 21, now, David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all, uh, all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me go- evil for good. And again, just a mindset, sorry, before we get into what she said, David's mindset in this. All, he's, he, he's convinced now that just because these words have come back to him, that all of the good that he's done to this point has been wasted. And so, again, we can convince ourselves of those things. And, and when, we're, when we're dealing with ourselves and talking with ourselves, we see that David didn't pray about this first. Many times David will say, Lord, before I go into this battle, should I go do this? He didn't pray. Lord, should I just go wipe out Nabal and all of his men? Didn't do that. He's going in his flesh and convincing himself that everything that he's done good to this point was a waste of time. May God do so to the enemies of David and more so that if by morning I leave as much as one male of, whom, of any of whom belong to him. So he's planning on not only killing Nabal, but every man that belongs to Nabal. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal, For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives. When she's saying my Lord, she's speaking to David in in respect. But as the Lord lives, that's, that's Yahweh. And as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, Now then, let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift, which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in all your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, Then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he will sling out from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord does for my Lord according to all that is good and he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Amazing, first as we see in this, the attitude that she has, this attitude of humility. She comes and she bows down before him, humbling herself. 
And in that, I, I see this first point that I want to make, that, that attitude has just as much, if not more, to do with what is received than the words themselves. Don't we know that? That it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. Husbands, wives, right? <laughs> you know, I'm walking out the door if my wife says, where are you going? Hey, wait a second. Totally different than, sweetheart, where are you going? Right? And I said, I'm going out. I'm going for a walk. And walk out and slam the door. Or, sweetheart, I'm going to go for a walk. Would you like to join me? You know? Same message, different attitude. And she comes with this totally humble attitude. She doesn't come calling him out. Are you, you're supposed to be the king and this is how you're going to act? So you call yourself a Christian, do you? How many times has that been our reaction when somebody wrongs us or says that you call yourself a Christian and you did pop, 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 pop. Interesting. She comes along here and her entire goal is to make peace, to make peace. Jesus said, if you'll remember in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the, the discipleship training that we went through in Matthew several, several weeks ago when we were studying that, the discipleship training, and no doubt, again, David is a king in training and getting this same message. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. The Bible tells us that we are to first be pure and then be peaceable. We have to have a pure heart before the Lord. We have to walk in truth. But then we are to be peaceable. Peacemakers. Peacemakers starts with us. Each one of us, has, we are called to be peacemakers, peace with others. The Bible tells us that as much as it has to do with you, be at peace with all men. Now that is a very tall order, is it not? But he says, as much as it has to do with you, it's impossible to be at peace with everyone because it's not just up to us, it's up to the other person as well. But we need to make sure that the reason that there isn't peace between us and someone else has nothing to do with us. As much as it has to do with us, we are to be at peace with all men. We can only do that filled with the Spirit of the Lord. In our flesh, again, we will be like David in this situation every time. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. They did this, they said that, but as much as it has to do, we have to be at peace with others. We are to be peacemakers within others, between men and God. We are called to an incredible ministry. The Bible tells us that we are called to the ministry of reconciliation, to reconcile lost sinners with an almighty God, with a holy and righteous God. We do that, again, by telling them of the one mediator. The Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And that is, that is our goal. That is our role, to be reconciling lost people with Almighty God because of the blood of Jesus. So we're to be at peace with others. We're to be at peace, we're at peace within others, but also peace among others. And that's where this comes into play here. 
Not just peace ourselves with other people, not just peace other people with God, but peace other people with other people. We are called to be peacemakers. We are called to get involved and help resolve disputes. And that is only possible if, there is, if, if we give no ear to gossip and we do not take sides with anyone, but we come in as a neutral person filled again with the Spirit to, to come between one another, to help solve disputes, to help erase division. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. An incredible, again, an amazing responsibility, but that is what we're called to do. And I see what a, what a beautiful picture that is here. Blessed are the peacemakers. She is a, a peacemaker. Notice, it tells us here that she bowed down before him. She even took blame that wasn't hers to try to diffuse the situation, to try to take the edge off, if you would. Forgive me. For any role that I've played in this, notice she reminds him of God's faithfulness even before it happens. Notice in verse 26, the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself at your own hand. He sent me to stop this. He has sent me from, to, to come in between this, reminding him of his faithfulness, but also reminding him of his call in verse 28. Because the Lord, my Lord, you, David, are fighting the Lord's battles. This, <laughs> this isn't a battle you should be worrying about, David. You're to be fighting the Lord's battles. But then also reminding him of God's promises. He will sling out, verse 29, of the hollow of his sling, just almost reminding him of Goliath with that, has to be, as he's reminding him of God's promise. And she then reiterates it, you will be king. You will rule over Israel. And then she brings this to, in verse 30, when the Lord does for my Lord according to all that he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord. If you go through with this, David, it's going to be a mark on you. It's going to be something that you will regret. Both by having shed blood without cause and having avenged yourself. Taking matters into your own hands. She warns him again with that. And we see the response of David. Verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. What a, what a, what a response. Again, a man after God's own heart. Now we can question as we look at David's heart right here. And that's again what I love about the word of God. David one of the heroes of the Bible. The one more is written about David, the only one that's written more about in all of Scripture is Jesus. A hero, one after God's own heart, but we see that he is a man as well. His mistakes. And I like that because, again, anybody else make mistakes? Anybody else made a mistake today? Anybody, you know? <laughs> and we, so we can relate to these things, but then we can also, again, learn from this, and when we are confronted, again, this is where we need to crucify our flesh every day. And here we see David crucifying his flesh. Blessed be the Lord God. First response, praise the Lord that he's intervened. Praise the Lord 
that he sent you. He thanks her for what she did, and he confesses his mistake, where he was going. But notice he says too, blessed be your discernment, your discernment. David's son, Solomon, will one day write in Proverbs chapter 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath. I wonder if Solomon learned that from David, his father, reflecting on this moment that we're looking at here. He goes on in chapter, verse 4 of chapter 15 in Proverbs, a soothing tongue is a tree of life. In verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. Amazingly powerful words, but truth. You want to solve a dispute? It starts with us. In the kingdom of God, there are things that are much higher than I'm right and you're wrong. There is so much to be said about us, again, dying to ourselves and me being right, me proving to the world that I'm right, when we can lay ourselves down for a greater good. Trusting in the fact, again, that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Jesus speaks of this again later in Matthew chapter 5. Again, continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount and in his discipleship training of the disciples that are there. Again, that we can learn continually from this. It says in verse 38, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Jesus speaking directly to being insulted. This first part that he quoted that says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was a part of the law that was given to the, the Israelites. It was repeated several times in, in, to Moses that he rel relayed to the people. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But we must always remember that that's not meant for us individually. It was never meant for them individually. It was always given to the, the government to execute justice publicly, not personally. But the purpose of that, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, wasn't revenge. Never was. It was never, it was always to show mercy so that people wouldn't, you wouldn't take it too far. You wouldn't take two, two, two teeth for a tooth. <laughs> that it was to limit restitution. But people took it in a, in a way that they could legitimize retaliation, and that was never the heart behind the law. Jesus said, don't overcome evil with evil. Always do what is good. When he says, if someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also, that is speaking of a backhanded slap, and that was to show ultimate disrespect to someone. And Jesus is saying, if someone shows you even the highest form of disrespect, you are not to retaliate. You are supposed to even give them, <laughs> open yourself up for even more, being humble. Peter said, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. 
For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. How hard is that? (laughs) That instead of retaliating with an insult, to respond with a blessing. Jesus tells us that we regain the upper hand when we are insulted, not by returning in kind, not being consumed with our own rights, but by turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, not begrudgingly, not filled with self-pity, not drawing attention to that fact, but the primary concern behind it all is, again, restoration. 1 Corinthians chapter, tell, chapter 13, the love chapter, tells us that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love. That's the love that we are called to do. Jesus said that they will know, the world will know us by our love, the love that we have for one another. And that love, agape love, is not a love of emotion. It is a love of choice. It is a love of total self-sacrifice. Speaking of love, Jesus continues, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? We're not to just show love to those who show love to us. Everybody does that. Jesus goes on in later time, misunderstanding. Who is our neighbor? Well, we're neighbors. It's us. No, it's, 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 it's not to try to find out the minimum of what's expected. We're to love everyone. Jesus lays it out. Love your enemies too. Love. Pray for those who persecute you. Blessed be your discernment that she understood this. He is blessed. No doubt his The people who are coming behind him, those who are following David, are blessed when they hear and they see this. Kept me from this day of bloodshed, from avenging myself at my own hand. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We trust in him to take care of all of those things. Nevertheless, verse 34, as the Lord God of Israel lives who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she brought him and said to her, go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. Again, David now humbling himself, admitting his, the, 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 the darkness of his own heart, but then the fact that He is now, he has listened, granted the request. He turns back, verse 36, then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him so that he became as a stone. The next morning when he woke up, hung over, his wife tells him what had taken place. 
And it says that, that his heart died within him. Don't know if that was like a stroke or a, or a heart attack, but he became like a, like a stone, it says. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has, pleased, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the land of Nabal and has kept, me back, kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. So David rejoicing, I, I, I struggle with the fact that he was probably cheering and excited that Nabal was dead. I think he's more excited with the fact that God did take care of me. God did take care of the problem. And praise the Lord that he intervened and stopped me from doing it. There is great, there is great comfort and joy knowing that God is in control, and when we trust him, and sometimes this only took 10 days, sometimes it's going to take a lot longer, but we know if we just leave it in the Lord's hands, everything is going to work out. Again, we have that promise in his word, all things work together for good. If we just are patient and we wait, we can see, as David did, the faithfulness of the Lord. It says, David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife, when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. She arose and bowed her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Again, very humble woman. Then Abigail quickly arose. <laughs> I can imagine. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> the, we, we, we get the idea that it wasn't a real happy relationship with her and her husband, no doubt probably a prearranged one, most were at that time. She didn't probably have any say in the matter. But what an amazing example, again, of, of this woman who humbly submitted to the, the, the life that the Lord had put before her. But now, here's this opportunity again, now the Lord rewarding that and calling her now to be David's wife. And she quickly arose and rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David had also taken Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both became his wives. Now, this was previous. We don't know this story, but David already has this other woman as a wife and now takes Abigail. Now, this is not an endorsement for polygamy. This does not mean that it's okay to have multiple wives. As a matter of fact, the law is very clear says, kings shall not multiply their wives. Now, David might be saying, I'm not multiplying, I'm adding. <laughs> but that's looking, <laughs> that's looking for a loophole, and that's always a bad thing. This, people, and people look at these things and they say, you know, well, you know, that, that was then, that was, that was back then, and it was, it was acceptable back then. It was culturally acceptable back then. It was never acceptable to God, ever. Never in his word. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, from the very beginning, made them male and female, and for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, singular, and the two shall become one flesh. That's God's design from the beginning. He created marriage between one man and one woman. The two shall become one flesh. 
God designed it. God created it. God endorsed it. It's not up to anybody else to change it. It's the way that it was always designed to be. So any of you getting any bright ideas just because David did it? Now Saul had given Michael his daughter, David's wife. Now we know that this, this happened even before then, that David was married to Saul's daughter, Michael. Now because David ran away, Saul has now given Michael to another man, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Chapter 26, then the Ziphites, here they are again, back in 23, they're the same ones who tried to blow the whistle on David before. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, is not David hidden in the hill of Hekelah, which is before Jeshimon? So here they come again, trying to get points with, with Saul, and we know from seeing a lot. It wasn't because Saul was a great guy. It wasn't because of anything else. I mean, we know that people were trying to get escape from Saul and, and, and everything that's going on, but there are always those who will try to make friends with, with others just to, just to build themselves up, and that's what these guys are doing again. They did it before. They're trying to earn points with, with Saul. So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having with him 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search for David in the wilderness of Ziph. Now, you might ask the question, didn't he say he wouldn't do that again? Yes, he did. But again, we mentioned it last time, his heart never changed. He was, he was confronted with his sin. He was confronted with the fact that David had an opportunity to kill him, but he didn't. He was presented with the facts that David is not this man who is after the throne. And we, we saw that it was, there was a confession, but there wasn't repentance. And there's a big difference. Confession is being sorry you got caught. <laughs> repentance is turning from sin and turning away from it, going the other direction. Saul never repented. So here he gets his special force troop again, 3,000 men to chase after one man. Saul camped in the hill of Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon, beside the road, and David was staying in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies, and he knew that Saul was definitely coming. So he heard a rumor, sent out spies, confirmed that fact, this big army coming out again. David then arose and came to the place where Saul had camped, and David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army, and Saul was lying in the circle of the camp, and the people were camped around him. So no doubt David's got a high position looking out over it, 3,000 men, they're in this big camp, and Saul is right in the middle, being protected by all of the men. Abner, the, his, his commander, there with him in the middle. And David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, the son of Zerai, Joab's brother, saying, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. That's quite a man. Who's gonna go down with me into those 3,000 men. I'll go. That's a man of great faith and a man who loved David. And the, the, we're going to see as we continue to study through the life of David and the life of these men, David's mighty men, that the uh, men of valor, this man says, I'll go with you. I'll go with you into an, an impossible situation. 
I'll follow you as you follow the Lord's leading. Because no doubt Abishai believed in the Lord and believed in David's anointing and saying, as long as I stick with you, David, things are going to be all right. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping inside the circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the people were lying around him. So just imagine, again, the scene. David and Abishai walking through all of these men, 3,000 men sleeping, and they're just walking through, and they walk into the middle where Saul is. He's got his spear stuck in the ground by his head. Saul doesn't go anywhere without his spear. Then Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. And no doubt part of that reason he's feeling that is we made it all the way here. We made it through all of these guys. Nobody woke up. This has got to be the Lord. This has to be supernatural. This, can't, this didn't happen by chance, David. So God, again, has ordained this opportunity. Don't blow it this time. <laughs> we had the opportunity in the cave, and you backed away. Here it is again. Now, therefore, please let me strike him with the spirit of the ground with one stroke, and I will not strike him a second time. I'll make sure with one blow <laughs> it'll take care of the problem. You don't have to touch him, David. I'll do it. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David, again, understands that Saul is God's problem, not his problem. And what a lesson that we all need to learn, again, in those situations, in the battles, and especially the personal things that come against us. That's God's problem. We are called to fight the Lord's battles, as David was. Let the Lord fight our battles. That's, that's God's problem. I, I've said this before to, to my wife and to others. You know, that, that If somebody has a problem with you, that's their problem. Don't make it your problem. But in addition to that, if somebody has a problem with you, that's God's problem and let him, him deal with it. You focus on, if we tried to run around and make sure that nobody had a problem with us, can you imagine how busy we'd be? How busy are we trying to make that happen? And the enemy loves that. The enemy loves that. If he could keep us distracted with all of these problems from all of these other things, he knows that we're nowhere near as effective doing the Lord's work because we're too busy doing our work. Not David's problem, it's God's problem. David also said, as the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him, or his day will come that he dies, or he will go down into battle and perish. I love that too. Because here's David saying, again, it's God's problem. He'll deal with it. It might happen because the Lord strikes him. It might happen because he dies of old age. It might happen in battle. I don't know. But I'm willing to wait on the Lord. I'm willing to wait for the Lord to take care of of the problem. Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. Now again, I'm, I'm struck by this. They're having this conversation. <laughs> I'd be learning sign language really fast, you know. <laughs> Don't want to wake anybody up. But then we see again God's hand, verse 12. So David took the spear and the jug of water beside Saul's head, and they went away. But no one saw or knew it, 
nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. God is working. God is doing it. We might not understand it. We might not see it actually taking place. We could see the results of it all around us, but God is working. God is taking care of it. God put a sleep on these guys. There's no chance they're going to wake up until God says, get up. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on the top of the mountain at a distance with a large area between them. David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? So, again, imagine the only light probably is maybe some fires that are there in the midst. So David goes off and he's a ways away and it's totally dark. They can't see him. They don't know maybe even the general direction where he is, but certainly can't see him. It's the middle of the night. Who are you that calls out, Abner says. And David said to Abner, are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded the Lord, the king? For one of the people came to destroy the king, your Lord. This thing you have done is not good. And as the Lord lives... All of you must surely die because you did not protect and guard your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was at his head. Calling him out and saying, and no doubt Saul probably looking around saying, you guys were all sleeping? But calling them all out, where were you? No doubt even probably taunting a little bit in the voice that he's saying. Then Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, it is my voice, my lord, the king. He also said, why then is my lord pursuing his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my lord, the king, listen to the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. So if God is doing this, if, I, if, if, I'm, if this is against it and, and the Lord is behind th th this whole thing, let me offer a sacrifice to make it. But if it is men, cursed are they before the Lord. For they have driven me out today so that I have no attachment with the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go and serve other gods. They've driven me away because of what they have said and how they have fed your paranoia and your hatred of me. Now then... Do not let my blood fall to the ground away from the presence of, of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to search for a single flea, just as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will not harm you again, because my life was precious in your sight this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have committed a serious error. David replied, Behold the spear of the king. Now let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refuse to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now behold, as your life was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life be highly, highly valued in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me from all my distress. And what a... Again, a great statement of trust again that David has in the Lord and, and, and his, his, again, stating the, the belief and the trust that he has in the Lord, showing, again, God delivered me. I delivered you into my hand. I didn't touch you. I valued your life. 
May my life be valued in the sight of the Lord. Then Saul said to David, blessed are you, my son. You will both accomplish much and surely prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. So again, we see David and his heart and how he honored, honored the Lord. And again, what an example for us as we see both with Abigail and with David learning that lesson. I wonder, and again, just, just a wondering, if he would have gone ahead with this whole pursuit of Nabal, if he would have then taken this opportunity and continued down that slippery slope, taking out Nabal and now this opportunity again with Saul as his heart maybe would have been hardened. And again, a challenge for all of us is the Holy Spirit speaks to us when we are going the wrong direction. We all get those Holy Spirit checks as Christians, going to go do something that we shouldn't do and the Holy Spirit puts that stop sign up or sends someone as he did with Abigail to come and talk to us. We have, we have a decision to make. Are we going to listen or are we going to keep blowing through in our own way? And when we do that and we blow through the stop sign, we harden our hearts and we continue down that slippery slope. Or we can, as David did, repent, realize this is my flesh, crucify my flesh now. And then again, another great test comes and he sails through it again and honors the Lord. Again, great examples for us. We'll stop there and pick up in chapter 27 next week if you want to read ahead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the truths that it holds. That this story that we have for us is not again written just as a history lesson, but Lord, it's a life lesson for us. Lord, I pray that we would all take the time to examine ourselves as your word calls us to do. That we would allow you to examine us. And Lord, if there are if there are any relationships, if there are any things that we are holding on to, if, there, if there's anyone that we need to be at peace with, Lord, let us go and make peace. That there would be no one that, as it says, that as much as it has to do with us, we are to be at peace with, with all men. Lord, let us be that. Let us be peacemakers with others, introducing you to others. The ministry of reconciliation, use us in that, Lord. Challenge us, grow us, stretch us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.